Well, listen, I, before we jump into our, our second message in our series, Meet the Supers, I just want to say a few words to those of you who may be single and feeling like you're being left out. I, I want to encourage you to participate and listen in because a lot of what we're going to be talking about in this series is just, it's just good skills, godly biblical skills for any kind of relationship. It's just that we're focusing in on certain kinds of relationship, and we'll be talking as well about uh, what it means to be single in, quote, a married world. But if you are single, I want to encourage you to listen, because if you've ever thought or think you might get married someday, this will be very helpful for you to have this insight that we're going to talk about. Or if you've been in a relationship and uh, perhaps you're divorced and you have a bitter taste about marriage, I, I want you to see how marriage can work the right way. And for those of us who are married, regardless of whether our current marriage is in, you know, in a good place or in, a, in kind of a rough, rocky patch right now, I guarantee you that if both of you will commit to God's word, God's truth, and marriage can be better than good, it can be, it can be great. All right? So with that in mind, here at Hobson 111, I want you guys to uh, uh, get ready with me. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, look to your word and seek insight and wisdom with regards to our relationships and perhaps the most uh, sacred and precious relationship that you created, oh God, and that is marriage. Help us to gain insight and understanding and healing if that's what we need. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. There was a study done by the University of Virginia entitled The State of Our Unions. And the result of that study showed that the divorce rate is actually on a decline since its peak in the 1980s. And when I first read that, I thought, wow, I, I didn't realize that. That's, that's really good news. Until you really get into the study and find out that the reason the divorce rate is on the decline is that you have fewer and fewer couples who are getting married. Now, that does not mean that they're choosing to stay single. What's happening in our culture is that more and more couples, primarily young couples, but also some folks who are not so young anymore, are choosing actually to live together in an unwed relationship. And so it does skew all the figures. And it was interesting reading people's editorials on this study. And I, I found one in particular fascinating. This person uh, wrote the following. It all started in the 1960s. Rebellious baby boomers made shacking up and getting divorced more acceptable. Movie stars and celebs made it fashionable. Now TV shows have made it commonplace. It is estimated that one-fourth of all unmarried women ages 25 to 39 are living with a boyfriend. And that number increases when counting women who have lived with a boyfriend in the past. More studies have been done, and according to statistics gathered by the U.S. Attorney Legal Services, it is estimated that if a couple does not live together and then gets married, there's only a 20% chance they'll get divorced in the first five years. However, if they live together first and then get married, the percentage goes all the way up to 49%. And for couples who decide that they don't believe in marriage, they're just going to live together 
it bumps all the way up to 62% who will, who will just separate and move apart from each other. Now, the question that comes to my mind is why are more and more young couples, why are more and more people in America choosing to live together rather than honor God's ordained uh, ministry called marriage? And I think it's because they're choosing the lesser of what they perceive to be two evils. See, a lot of those who are choosing not to get married today are what I consider to be victims of homes, of, of marriages that went bad and ended in divorce or were just, you know, for the child growing up and it was so filled with violence or abuse and screaming and yelling and, and cheating and and, you know, the list goes on, the kinds of things we hear and we see. And so in one sense, if you grow up with that, you can kind of understand why somebody would say, I'm not interested in marriage because I saw what it can do and what it can cost, not just financially, but what it can cost emotionally and even, even spiritually. Which then takes me to another question. And that question is, what is wrong with marriages? Why are marriages struggling so much, not only in the American culture, but I'm sorry to say, even within the church itself? And I want to point you to a passage of Scripture that I think actually settles the questions that many of us have in in all kinds of arenas of life, all right? Economic, political, moral, etc. But I think it really settles the question why marriages get into such big trouble. So take your Bibles or your iPads, your iPhones, whatever you have. I brought my, my iPad. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> so grab your Bibles and uh, take one out of the chair pocket ahead of you at Hobson. Or I know at 111 they've got Bibles available for you as well. Just pull that out, open it up, Matthew chapter 7. And I think this is a passage that's worth memorizing because it's so powerful and, and it's just it's put in a story form. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. So Jesus is saying, if you listen to me and what I say and what I teach and then you actually follow it and obey it, you are going to be a wise person. Now, imagine a husband and wife doing this. You're going to have a wise marriage, a wise couple. He says, Though the rain comes in torrents and the flood waters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock, the bedrock of a relationship to God through Christ and the bedrock of God's word. But, in verse 26, anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When we lived out west, sometimes Marsha and I, my wife Marsha and I would go driving and we love to see the homes out there that are built on the sides of mountains or on cliffs. I mean, they're, they're beautiful homes. They have these panoramic views of the Pacific Ocean or other great landscape on the West Coast. But they are, are built at an exorbitant cost because it requires engineers and contractors to plan it just right and to drill down 
uh, hundreds of yards through soil to find that bedrock where they then pour these massive columns or pillars of steel and concrete, in some cases springs that are involved in it, so that if there's a flood and the soil's washed away or there's an earthquake, the integrity of the house, the strength of that house is not in any way compromised. It's able to withstand the shaking or able to withstand the floods. I think the problem that we have today in marriages and and the challenge that all of us face who are married or whoever will be married or have been married is trying to drill down past the loose sands of our culture and what it says marriage is all about or isn't about. And get ourselves anchored into God's word through relationship with the son. And then basing our, the weight of our lives, the weight of our beliefs, our convictions, our commitments, then on what God has to say, rather than what I have to say or Dr. Phil has to say or anybody else has to say. If I can just get my life based and if I can get, if husband and wife can both choose to say, we will establish our relationship on the foundation of truth, you can have not only a marriage that survives, you can have a marriage that thrives. And so what I want to do this weekend is I want to look at four pillars that our marriages need to be set on, based on, that are connected to God's word and to relationship with Christ himself. Dr. Gary Smalley, who's a a, a psychologist and an expert on marriage and relationships especially, uh, mentions these four pillars. And I just kind of want to take them and and, uh, uh, move with them uh, with you so that you can have a solid foundation in any of your relationships, any of your relationships, Single parents to your kids, you know, dad and mom with your kids, with your friends, but especially in the area of marriage. And so we've got some pillars right here. And the first pillar that I want to talk about is the pillar or the column known as love. Now, love is an easy word to say. Let's all say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Love. But it is hard to do, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to practice. It's hard to produce, especially in a marriage relationship where you're with that person on a fairly regular basis. And sometimes, as we talked about several years ago in a series, it can be like rubbing against sandpaper, can it? And it kind of scratches and it kind of hurts, doesn't it? So it's one thing to say, I love you. It's another thing for me to demonstrate love for you. How is love demonstrated in a marriage? What does love do in a healthy and good marriage? You might want to jot this down. Love creates true love in marriage. Love based on God's word creates a sense of security. A sense of security. You know, when you really, really love someone, it makes them feel secure. When you love them with the love of Christ, when you love them with the love of God's word, it brings security in their lives. And one of the ways that we help people feel secure in a relationship with us, especially in marriage, is when we allow them to be free to be who they are. Someone once said that, you know, marriage is when a husband and wife become one. The trouble starts when they try to figure out which one right? I want my wife to be more like me 
because it should be more like me, then I will be happy. In fact, I would like my children to be more like me. I would like the staff to be more like me. I would like all of you to be more like me. If the whole world was just like me, what a wonderful world this would be. Thank Maybe we could sing that together. All right? But that's, you know, that's kind of how we approach our spouse oftentimes, isn't it? We, we get into a marriage relationship and we try to change them to be more like us. Or we try to change them to be the ideal of what we think a wife should be or an ideal of what the husband should be. And because we live in such a media-saturated culture today, the images in our minds, the icons in our minds of what a woman should be, let's talk about this for a moment as guys, is unrealistic. Because the women that are put out there in pornography, the women that are put out there, and nobody should be watching pornography, by the way, but a lot of guys are into it. An increasing amount of women are into it. And the image that you get as a young man or as an older man of what a woman should be, folks, that's all airbrushed. That's, not, that's, that's, that's synthetic. That's not real. But then we impose that and we expect our wife to be like. Or the kind of concept that a, that a woman has, what a guy should be like, what a guy should look like, how a guy should act becomes unrealistic as well. You know, a good marriage, a safe marriage, is where I let my wife be who she is and and where she allows me to be who I am. And I'm not trying to change her, and she's not trying to change me. We're just trying to change ourselves and become more like who? Become more like Christ. Imagine this is triangle. This is my left elbow, okay? Right elbow, peak the triangle. This is Dale, this is Marcia. These are calisthenics. Do you like them? All right? All right, Dale, Marcia, and God is at the head. All right, notice, where does the triangle become the closest? At the peak, right? So if I'll work on my relationship with God, if she'll work on her relationship with God, guess what? Boy, we get up here, oh my goodness, we have, we have unity. We have God's math, three equals one. Three equals one. So the question is right now, are you allowing your spouse to be who they are? Or are you trying to change them? You say, but you don't understand, Pastor. I want my spouse to be more like Jesus. That is awesome. I, I want my wife to be more like Jesus too. But you know what? I've been around plenty of, uh, of women throughout the ministry because oftentimes women come to church, their husbands don't, those kind of relationships, and the wife will try to shame her husband into coming to church or guilt her husband into being the spiritual leader of the home. And you know what? For the most part, all that does is drive him further and further and further away. And of course, it works the other way as well. The best thing you can do is pray for them. The best thing you can do is model for them what it means to be a Christian and encourage them. But you can't force people to be someone they're not. There's great security in marriage when I let them be themselves. And in a Christian marriage when we're both seeking to be like Christ. See, love also manifests itself when it's supportive in a relationship. When love is supportive. What I mean by that is when our love is like a cheerleader, okay? When we are cheerleading each other. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In other words, stop thinking about yourself in your relationships, no matter what those relationships are, and especially in marriage. It's not about you. In a Christian marriage, it's not about you. It's about your spouse. It's about, it's about cheerleading them. It's about helping them become all that they can be in Christ. It's about helping them become all that they can be with their dreams and their desires and their gifts and their talents and their abilities. In your relationship right now, would you consider yourself a cheerleader for your spouse? 
Or is it always about you and what your dreams are and what your wants are and what you want to accomplish? You see, one of the ways that we show our spouse that we support them is we are willing to sacrifice for them. How did God show us that he loved us? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed his life for us. And I tell you what, in a marriage relationship, if you're really going to love that person, sometimes you're going to have to learn to sacrifice that person. And sometimes that sacrifice can be costly. In the movie Notebook, there's a, there's a scene in there where James Garner, the, the husband of, uh, of a wife who has Alzheimer's, He's taking care and ministering to her. And one day the family, the kids come to see her and they, her kids have to be introduced to her like strangers because she doesn't recognize them. And I want you to listen to the conversation that takes place. Watch this. The children are here. Children? Not yours, his. Oh. Do you mind? Oh, I'd, I'd love to meet them. Come over here. <laughs> Hi, Daddy. Hi, I'm Allie. Hi, I'm Mary Allen. Mary Allen. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Hi. Hi. Maggie. Maggie, how are you? <laughs> Hello there, honey. Hi, Davini. What a pretty name. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and who's this? Edmund. Hi, Edmund. You know, I think I'll run on up and take my afternoon nap. Right? Come on, honey. There Let's you go. go. Oh, All right. Thank you. I'll read some more later. All right. Thank you. I'm so happy to meet you all. Bye-bye. Nice Goodbye. Bye. She seems good today. She is good. I don't know if there's something about today. Maybe it's a day for a miracle. Daddy, come home. Mama doesn't know us. She doesn't recognize you. She'll never understand. We miss you. This is crazy. You live in here? Yeah. You know, we'll all help with Mom. We, we can uh, take shifts visiting. Look, guys. That's my sweetheart in there. I'm not leaving her. This is my home now. Your mother is my home. I, that last statement resonates for, in my soul for some reason when he says, your mother is my home. Isn't that powerful? My home is not a building. My home is not a place. But my, my home is where my heart is married to this person. Love says, I'm with you for the long haul, no matter what happens. Is that describe your relationship right now? Or is it describe where your relationship needs to move to? How's your love life? There's a second pillar in marriage, actually in any relationship, and that is the pillar of trust. By the way, these things weigh like 500 pounds a piece, all right? It's the pillar of trust. Now, what is trust in a marriage? What's trust all about in a marriage? Trust 
is going into a marriage with no plan B. Trust is going to a marriage with no out, no prenuptial, in case it doesn't work out. Trust is, I'm betting everything, I'm putting everything on this relationship. I'm believing in you that you are going to be here for me, I will be here for you, and we are going to have a great relationship, and I'm in it for the long haul. I trust you. Now, trust takes a long time to build, but it can be lost in a moment. And perhaps you're in a relationship right now where that trust was lost. You're trying to rebuild it. It's easy sometimes to look at the, what happened in the past and let that weigh you down. You know, if you guys have been able to reconcile, then you know what you got to do? You got to build it one day at a time and look forward and not look backwards. See, one of the things that helps build trust in a relationship is when we seek to protect the relationship. When your spouse sees you making the attempt, doing the work of protecting the marriage and protecting them, it makes them feel ever more secure. Just like the opposite is true. If your spouse watches you do things that seems to harm the relationship or question the relationship, that's where doubt begins to creep in. How do we protect our marriages? Let me give you some suggestions uh, as Dr. Uh, Gary Smalley puts them forth. First of all, you protect your relationship by having appropriate behavior with the opposite sex. We live in a sexualized culture today. You and I have moved into a culture today where the mindset basically is you are free to do what you want to do with whoever you want to do regardless whether you're married or not. It's just a whole mindset. The whole mindset is give in to your feelings. And so we become very loose in our relationships with the opposite sex. And while there's nothing wrong with having friendships with the opposite sex, your best friend, your greatest friend, needs to be your spouse. Needs to be your wife or needs to be your husband. And they need to get that sense because they see how you protect that relationship. They see how you don't put yourselves out there to be vulnerable. Secondly, Another way we protect our relationship is by romancing our spouse. You know, when you dated, how you romanced your spouse, right? And you took him out and you got dressed up, you did nice things like that. And then we get married and guess what? We stop doing that. In a good, healthy marriage, the romance never stops. Thirdly, by demonstrating appropriate affection in public. You notice I said appropriate affection in public, all right? You know, your spouse feels great when you reach over and hold their hand or put your arm around them or get them an appropriate kiss or open the door for them or whatever it is, showing, you know, just those subtle signs of romance, I care about you. Here's what happens for them, okay, especially for the woman. It not only makes her feel good, but the fact that you're doing it in public is like you're saying to everybody else, she's special to me. I don't do this for anybody else, but I do it for her because she's special to me. Open communication. Our spouses want us to be open, not to hide anything. That means no secrets. Always being truthful. Always being truthful. And to sum it all up, being dependable. Being dependable. Our spouses want us to be dependable. They want to know that they can count on us, that we're going to be there when we say we're going to be there. And when we don't show that we're dependable, all right? What we're saying to them, in essence, is maybe something else is going on. It raises doubt. It raises suspicion. Let me ask you a question. Does your spouse trust you right now in your marriage? Do you trust your spouse? 
If there's some distrust going on, what's causing it? Maybe you need to have a little talk and talk about what it's going to take to rebuild or to strengthen that trust. There's a third pillar that's involved in a marriage relationship, and that is the pillar known as respect. Respect. In other words, we are called to honor one another. In essence, what that means is I should honor my spouse. I should respect my spouse the way God looks at me and the way God, in essence, respects me. All right? What I mean is I need to see my spouse the way God sees me, the way God sees you. And how does God see us? Did God choose you because you're so good looking? Did God choose you because you're so smart? Did God choose you because you're an American? Did God choose you because you're placed in wealth, uh, you know, in, the, in, in uh, the ladder of society, success? Absolutely not. God chose us while we were still sinners, the Bible says. He loved us. I like what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Isn't it awesome how God feels about us and thinks about us? How much he loves us. And it has nothing to do with us. He just chose to love us. Respect in a relationship means that I choose to love. I choose to honor my spouse because I choose to do so. Now, they can try to do a lot of harm and they can get a lot of stuff going on in their life to cause me to want to disrespect them. They could be disrespectful. They could be, you know, they could behave badly, all right? But even when they behave badly, I have to see them with the eyes of Christ. I have to go past that and see them with eyes of of God's grace. And I have found that people who struggle the most loving other people are those who don't know how much God loves them. I have found the greatest lovers in life, however, are those who are overwhelmed by how much God loves them. They don't go into relationship looking for affirmation because of what their spouse could do for them. They go into relationship with a confidence because they're so aware of what God has done for them. Do you know how much God loves you this weekend? How much he cares about you? How much you mean to him? How, how can you respect your spouse? How can you honor your spouse? Let me give you some suggestions. First of all, through affirmation through affirmation. I love it when Jesus meets Peter in the Gospels and the first thing he does is he says, you're a rock. And Peter's like, me? Right? Peter's anything but a rock. Maybe a pebble, all right? But, but definitely not a rock. But Jesus saw the potential in Peter if Peter surrendered his life to him. You and I need to see past our spouse's warts and faults and, you know, issues and see into the possibility of their life and speak affirmation into them. As parents, we have to do that for our kids. Speak into what good they do. What happens in a marriage is we start seeing the bad things we do and we start focusing and picking on the things that are wrong. There will always be something wrong with your spouse. Sorry to say that. There always will be. Rather than focusing on that, why don't you focus on the good things that God is doing in his or her life? Acceptance. Acceptance brings honor and respect appreciation 
You know, we talk about the cards that are available for you to fill out to, you know, show people how much you appreciate them. How about, how about showing some appreciation for our spouse we take advantage of? The other day I was upstairs and, and I, I had worked out and I was changing. And, and I, man, I tell you what, I, I'm one of these people, when I work out, I sweat like crazy, all right? I know that's really a cool topic to talk about, all right? I glow, but I'm not a woman. I sweat. Any other sweaters out there? Oh, I'm glad to see some of you, all right? I mean, I just... It just pours off me. So my poor wife must do, you know, a couple loads of laundry every week because I pretty much work out every day and, and, you know, go through everything. And the other day I was upstairs changing and I, and I, just, I just all of a sudden realized, man, she does a lot of stuff for me. And I went downstairs and I said, honey, I want to thank you for doing the laundry, for, for washing my clothes and taking care of that stuff for me. And she looked at me and she said, what else do you want? No, she didn't do that. She did not do that, all right? She didn't do that, all right? But you know, it's those, you know, and, that, and honestly, it, it, it meant something to her because it was small and something that, you know, is routine and she does all the time. And, and you know, I appreciate that. And our spouse needs to hear words of appreciation and words of admiration and words of admiration. I, I really admire my wife. I admire her character. You never, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, my wife, Marsha, you know, top 10 character. She's just awesome character. I admire her, her courage. She went out to uh, a skydive today. Uh, and and she was, I always say, well, call me when you're, when you're done so I know you're safe and okay, right? So I get the phone call. And she says, I'm on my way home. I said, well, you know, how many jumps did you get today? She said two. She's got like 185 jumps already, okay? And I'll start with sermon illustration, which is really scary. I got to be careful with illustrations I use, all right? But uh, I admire that. I'll never do that. I will never do that. I have no desire to do that. Absolutely no desire. But I admire that. One of the things you admire about your spouse, it makes them so feel, feel so good to know that they're admired. Last pillar, and then next weekend we're going to pick up on this pillar, and that is understanding. Our spouses desire for us to understand them. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, it says, In the same way you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Our spouses, and this works for guys as well, we all, we desire to be understood. That's all about communication. And next weekend, we're going to pick it up there. We're going to talk about how to build communication in our relationship. I want to talk next weekend about what it means to be friends as a husband and a wife. And again, if you're single, the principles will apply to any kind of friendship as well. But you know something? Our spouse wants to be understood. And you know what our spouse, you know what kind of understanding they want and desire? They, they want us, they want, to, they want us to understand their feelings. Not just the words that come out of their mouth, right? Now I'm talking about more than just hearing words. They want us to tune into them in such depth that we not only hear the words, but we hear the feelings behind the words because that's what they want us to grab. We don't even necessarily have to agree with them. But, you know, all of us desire for people to value our feelings, don't you? Understand me. You don't have to agree with me, but at least understand my feelings. And for us as guys, that's hard. Marsha and I had a discussion the other day, all right? 
um, rather heated discussion about something. And honestly, I can't remember what. I was trying to remember all day what it was. I guess that's good or else maybe I belong in the film clip. But I, I just, I, have, I don't remember what it was. But this is what I do remember. All right? I remember she got kind of ticked at me because I took the typical guy approach. You know what I wanted to do? I wanted to fix her problem. She said something was going on. And I, I remember I gave her like three ways she could fix it. And that didn't go over very well. And I like, I know better. I know better. Because what she was really wanting me to do was just listen to her and agree with her feelings. She's smart enough to figure it out. I admire her smart. She's a smart person. That's all she needed from me. Why couldn't I keep my mouth shut? Why couldn't I just listen? Why couldn't I just parrot back to her? It sounds to me that you are feeling. And we would have had a happy ride in the car. But oh no, I've got to fix it and I've got to be callous. But can I say something to you ladies, please? All right? And, and I heard this from a woman, so I'm protected, okay? I heard this from a woman expert. She says one of the difficulties women have is that women think, women have it in their mind that men think like them. So that when a woman speaks and emotes, all right, her expectation is, well, you know, everybody thinks like I think, like we think. But you women forget, we men have much simpler minds, <laughs> less wiring, all right? So it's not as easy for us to dial in. And so next weekend, we're going to talk about how to overcome some of those things from a spiritual basis, from a biblical basis, because, you know, you have the best communication when you're good friends. You ever notice that? It's friendship that makes great communication. So what does it mean to be friends? Hey, let me ask you a question. How are the columns in your marriage? Which ones do you need to work on? Which ones do you need to fortify and strengthen to handle the stress of life. Let's pray. Father, pray and ask that you would help each one of us to do some deep introspection into our hearts and into our lives. To see the things of God, not that our spouse needs to change, but I need to change. God, is it love? Do we need to be more sacrificial, more supportive? Is it trust? Father, are we doing things in our marriage right now that calls into question our commitment? God, is it respect? Is it looking at our spouse the way you look at us? God, is it understanding? Some of us, God, just, we just want to say what we had to say, and we don't want to listen. We don't want to be patient. So God, in the areas we fall short, forgive us. And this weekend, if God has pricked your heart with something you're doing wrong in your marriage, would you not only ask him to forgive you, but would you please talk to your spouse and ask them to forgive you? And together talk about how you can improve the relationship. And God will bless you. Amen.